Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker. I'm Ross LeCain. I've got a, a really, truly inspirational uh, guest who many of you are familiar with. She's been in the industry for the last 30 years. Uh, welcome, Bridget Saker. Um, Bridget, I've known you for many years from uh, probably from the Wizard Homeland days through Aussie. And, uh, you know, I've seen your progression, you know, through Genworth to be one of the top leaders within that uh, mortgage insurance business to, you know, starting your own mortgage management business to running for parliament, to the charity work that you've been uh, doing and, you know, your latest venture, which is opening a cafe. And, you know, through all of this, you, you've had some tragedy in your, in your life. And yeah. this was something I can really connect with because, you know, I lived on Belmore Street East, which was, you know, the, the street um, where the tragedy occurred. And I'll get you to sort of share a little bit about that sure. as we sort of go in but you know the reason I was excited to have you on board and again we've been at the same events you were you know Genoa sponsored the chairman's club which I was part of Aussie mm -hmm. for many many years and you know whilst we sort of probably had brief conversations then it wasn't till we sort of got together at the recent Mike Perot conference where we both presented at uh and Unfortunately, I had to leave before your presentation. So, you know, you told me it was the first time that you really shared your personal story. A lot of people know you for the finance. Uh, and I was really bummed I missed it. So, you know, the reason I, you know, got you on board is, you know, probably so selfishly is I, I really uh, find you such an inspiration because Thanks. I've followed your story. And I'm really um, keen to... You know, share so many lessons, right? So many lessons from your journey and what you've been through on a personal level. So, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast and I look forward to chatting over the next half an hour or so and uh, and sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Ross, by the way. And I'm, I'm yeah, I feel pretty honoured and privileged to be on, uh, here today with you. And you're right, we've never really had that time to really speak to each other, even though we've been at so many different events together so yeah there's always a time and place for everything right definitely right and I really enjoyed the brief catch-up that we had yeah. uh, when we sort of set this up in in my parole and I got to know a little bit more um sort of about your story then so yeah yeah I'm going to leave it up to you where do you want to start yeah look I think I'd like to you know start a little bit about myself maybe that's a, a good way to kind of I, I uh you know, born and bred in Sydney, and um, I'm one out of four four kids. Um, I'm number two, um, and you know, went to school, and then went to university. Um, and my first um, job really was um, on a graduate program for the Commonwealth Bank, mm. um, and that was back in 1991. Um, and I was there for three and a half years. I was on a rotational program, and Back then, you know, Commonwealth Bank was known as the Brown Cardigan Brigade and I was feeling a little bit suffocated in there. I, I had to get out. I thought, I've got to do more. Um, and I really discovered very quickly in my life that everything I do has to have a purpose. 
Mm. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, I get up every morning and life is about having a purpose and, and it's sort of, you know, part of my makeup um, along with the fact that I, um, you know, um, I'm a community person, I'm a family family girl and, um, you know, I, I come from a, a, a pretty faithful family. We're, we're, we're Christians, I'm a Catholic and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. It's part of my identity um, and part of my values to to serve and to to give and to, to you know, um, being a very inclusive person and, and a very um, forgiving person. And that's mm. the way I've been raised. And that's probably afforded me um, in good stead. I always say that the, the bank of faith pays, has paid its dividends because that's what keeps me going every day. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I started my, my, my career. And then, you know, I was only sort of just 20, 21 when I started and I was very young and, kind of feeling my way and you know joined um a government owned uh, LMI company called HLIC at the time which became G which became Gemworth and I and I found myself um very much in love with the purpose of home ownership very much um love dealing with people um and um uh, you know I had the amazing ability to um grow with the organization became an officer officer of the company became an executive and I was able to tap into all parts of the homeline chain, you know, um, right from when the customer um, entered the, the the bank or saw a broker right through to, to post-settlement and, you know, we're also seeing a lot of families, um, you know, lose their jobs or go through a marriage breakup or sickness and unable to meet their commitments and, you know, having to see so many claims being paid, Um uh, by by LMI by Gemworth, and and during that time I you know was probably young and and you know learning the industry and being the only female um, it was difficult I mean you know females in a male dominated industry wasn't wasn't easy um, and I knew I had to prove myself and I knew I had to to back myself that that I was capable that I was um, smart to to interact with um, you know, a group of executives who are all male and that I could, that I could do that. Um, and that, you know, that life wasn't going to be uh, very rosy and easy, even in, in the corporate world. Mm. Um, there were, there was always challenges and you, you have to try and be conciliatory and collaborative. And so I learned all those skills along the way. And as time went on, I, you know, I, as, as I got promoted, I began to mentor and manage and lead teams and I love that very much and mm. I um, always felt that, you know, putting your people and investing in your people is really, really important. That was so critical to to my success because without your people, without, you know, making sure they're on the journey, they're, they're empowered um, and they feel like they are, they are part of that success, then you're not going to be successful. So that's, you know, my team grew. I had a large team. I kind of became the chief commercial officer um, and with, you know, the whole, the whole front end in my domain, whether it be product or pricing or or sales or revenue or lender relationships, um, PR, I mean, even GR was in my domain for a while. All that, which is government relations, public relations, all that was an amazing experience for me. Um, but I found that, Soon enough, in that corporate world, 
I also needed someone to fly my flag and, and be an ambassador for what I what I what I was doing. And I was very fortunate to 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 find that person who who's in, because Genworth was international, uh, uh, owned majority owned by the by the US. Um, this person, his name was Brian Hurley. He was based in um, North Carolina, um, where Genworth's head office was. He was very much an advocate for what I did and what my department was achieving. So I kind of say to everybody, you know, who is in the corporate world and is amongst an industry, find someone who will fly your flag. Really, I had that, and that was an amazing um, experience for me to have somebody go there and vouch for what I had achieved and what the team had achieved. Yeah. And we did a lot. I mean, Genworth grew phenomenally. Um, oh, amazing. And, you know, yeah. I guess from an outsider's point of view, and again, we worked quite closely with you and your team and having access to your team in the sort of the chairman's club. And, you know, you had a really tight, knit team back in the in the Genworth days you 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 know guys like Rob who's who's on parole and um you know you had a really good team and although you obviously you know were a strong leader and you you um were passionate about what you uh, were doing and you were passionate about the client you were passionate about you achieving your results your team had your back and that was sort of obvious from an outsider's yeah. perspective yeah. in terms of looking in, right? And as you say, to do it in a male-dominated sort of realm to, you know, to get to those levels and to command that respect and, uh, you know, is is not easy, especially back in the times where mm. it was, you know, about, you know, um, guys, oh. you know, pumping their chests and going oh. out for beers on a Friday night, you know. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think if you if if you have your teams back, they'll have your back. They put, you know, you you really just have to show that you you as a leader want to get your hands dirty as much as you want to empower and delegate. You've got to show that you um are in it with them. And yeah, I I um I, I really believe even relationships with lenders. I mean, Genworth was a necessary evil. Nobody wanted to really um, have LMI attached to you you know, to a loan and, you know, why am I paying all this premium when, the, you know, borrower's not covered? And there was a whole range of, um, you know, angst towards the product. But I really believe that if you, if you, if everything you do in your life, whether it be your personal life or your work life, has relationships centred in that, so you're building relationships, you're getting to know people at a personal level, you're getting to know them, you know, so that they learn to trust you, even if you say no, um, then I really believe that that goes a long way. Mm. And, you know, our major customer for Genworth when I was there was Commonwealth Bank, right through to a small mutual non-bank. And I always made sure that my team entrenched themselves in that in that lender shop. Mm. Um, and, you know, to the point where... The, the lenders would open up about their strategy, what was important to them, what strategically they were focusing towards um, sharing their goals and objectives and inviting you to their, their broker events, you becoming a part of that, a sponsor of that, because I saw the value of, of LMI. It allowed me and my team to meet the broker market. I mean, you know, LMI brokers really don't have that, that connection but I developed that connection because I 
again, focused on getting to know the, the aggregators and and um, how they worked and what was key to them. Yeah. So that I really understood when a customer went to meet with a broker for a home loan, what that looked like. And it really afforded Genworth even more penetration in the market. And you know, right through from, you know, broker up to the regulator, APRA. And yeah, that that takes time. Building trust takes time. I even have today, you know, I mean, obviously after Genworth, I did some consulting to the MFAA during the Royal Commission, which I really loved. And I found that I was one person who could bring all the aggregators together to get a report out during that time. We worked with Deloitte's Access Economics and, and I worked with 13 CEO aggregators, uh, heads, heads of aggregation, who majority were male, but I didn't see that. I didn't see that differentiation. I saw them as humans because I had really invested in my myself over the years, um, both you know technically and both um, you know professionally and personally, to to be able to do that. And I and I recognise that for so many women who sometimes you know err away from that or fear what does that look like or take time out to have a family. Um, I think you know. If you invest in yourself and you back yourself, people people will recognise you for what you have achieved and what you stand for. So interested in this because obviously knowing you, you're such a passionate leader, you're passionate about what you believe in and, you know, you weren't prepared to put your hand up if you didn't believe something was right and you wanted to push for change or you wanted to, you know, and what was the purpose? You said you had a purpose every time you sort of had a role what was your purpose in those days if you think back to those days what was the driving sort of why behind you know your role yeah. in that sort of I mean time? as a person I've never been driven by money it doesn't actually like get my endorphins going it doesn't excite me to that like of course money is uh, you know everyone needs that and you you know you it, it gives you the luxuries of life that you you know wouldn't be able to afford to have but I was always driven by a goal or, or, or a, like for 23 years of my life, when it was my corporate world, I was driven by the fact that somebody at that end was in a home, in their home. You know, how important is home ownership? And when I remember I was quite young, when I'd just um, been at Genworth for not long and, you know, Commonwealth Bank came up potentially as a, as a customer we could lock in exclusively. I was, and I remember being in that office on very low pay, but being in the office writing a contract so we can try and win them exclusively till midnight, like two, three nights a week, because I was so driven by the fact that if we got this big customer, we're going to be able to put more people into homes because, you know, um, I could see the end result of what that would look like. So that, that was my, every. I mean, my work became my everyday, part of my everyday makeup. It's not somewhere I went to. You know, especially when the people there are people you love being around, even even more amazing. That's why as much as COVID has really helped people work from home and create the flexibility, when you're in an environment where there are people around you, you're actually learning from each other without realising that interaction, that connection. We're humans. We, we, mm. we need to connect. And I'm all about connection. Yeah, love it. Love you know, it. And so, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and again, the industry was so important to me that when I was setting up Granite, which is um, a big decision I had to make as to whether I continue in the corporate world, which I actually, you know, had a number of um, 
um, approaches, I actually decided that I was going to use all the skills and all the relationships that I had built and developed over so many years and do something for me that would achieve that same purpose. And so, you know, Granite was born in 2018. Um, and then my husband, Craig, came on board um, and we grew from there to over 18 staff. Um, and that was set up so that we could provide home ownership for young professionals who didn't have a deposit, couldn't rely on bank mum and dad. And the banks, they weren't part of the bank's traditional credit fit, you know, mm. we, but they were still very strong borrowers who'd been to university, been out of university for three years. They were professionals, they had a trajectory of income. And that cohort I felt was not being serviced. So that's how Granite started. And it took a big risk. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're sort of, you know, earning a, a particular income and then you kind of start thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I'm investing in this and I'm putting all my eggs in my basket. Is this going to work? Again, I backed myself. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it, it will work. Yeah, this is a conversation I have with a number of guests, right? Because you get to that point and I think some people get locked in. It's kind of like the golden handcuffs where they're at a level, they may not be particularly happy in the level, like they might be stressed, they might not be particularly happy at the level where they're at or they've lost the energy, they've lost the connection for what, you know, they once did. And But it's that sort of tough decision where you've, got to let go of something where you know works to then you know take a massive risk to back yourself to go into something you don't even know if it's going to no. work right no. and you know I think a lot of people underestimate that decision but it happens quite often in life whether it's to go from the broker to the CEO and let go of the writing the business, whether it's you know to look to invest and really spend money on that you know, not just an average loan processor, but spending 150 grand on someone that's really going to transform your life and your business. Yeah. Like these are key decisions yeah. that are transformational, right? And it's, uh, we all come across them. And I know for me, leaving the mortgage broking industry and, you know, coming into coaching was a similar type of uh, decision. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, you talk about it um but the actual you know um and again i can imagine given the role that you're in at genwa that's a hard decision to make yeah i, was, I lost you a bit there um ross but I, I think i've got what you're saying look I, I i think you know when you you're on a treadmill nothing's going to get you off that treadmill really um unless something is driving you somewhere in your gut in your mind in in the workplace but somewhere along after 23 years, I thought to myself, you know, I think I've reached where I want to get to. I can keep doing this for, you know, God knows how long. Um, but I thought, you know what, it's time to make that move. And I, I didn't really have, I, like I said, I backed myself that somebody will take another role in this industry or or, or something will happen. Like I kind of took a risk. Um, I, I've got to say, I was a single mother. Um, you know, my marriage broke down after 18 years um, and it was an acrimonious separation and divorce. It wasn't easy. Um, and I had to, um, you know, I was, the, I was the breadwinner and I had to provide for my kids. And um, so being in the in the corporate world, it's not a nine-to-five job and you've got two kids and you're a single mother. You need to be highly organised. 
you need to rely on people around you to support you to you know do pickups and drop-offs and, and a whole range of other things um, as the kids grow up their needs change and they want more of you um, so it, it wasn't easy but I I thought to myself you know for me to also be able to have that sort of time with my children that you know, I'm not competing with that time because you know when you when you when you are an executive and you're the decision maker and you know your hours are endless and relentless and as much as I loved what I did I just felt that I I, I had to make that call and it wasn't easy it wasn't easy saying look I'm I'm going to resign I'm going to do something different um but yeah I I did it and um you know I do believe things happen for a reason I know it's a bit of a cliche but you know had I not done that I probably wouldn't have had the um the four three four years that I got to spend with um Veronique that that I did the flexibility that setting up your own business affords you uh, I wouldn't have had that and I was very fortunate to make that decision um and have those years with Veronique um, so in 2020, February 1, um, my daughter was tragically killed alongside her three cousins. It was a summer's evening and they were going to get some ice cream. I just dropped her off at my cousin's house because we all had this party to go to. And we all going to the same party, but I, I dropped her off. She wanted to catch up with her, her cousins and they'd gone for a walk and ice cream. And, you know, a car coming down Bennington Road and speeding in Oatland, speeding at 130 kilometres in a um, 50k zone um, on drug on drugs and and, and highly intoxicated um, hit the seven children and all of them and killed four um, and severely injured the other one with brain damage and um, you know left the the three and the siblings of the rest uh, my son's just turned 17 and you know he's now you know doesn't have his sister with him um, yeah, I, I you don't know what's going to happen in life. You get up, it's an ordinary day, and then in the blink of an eye, um, the world's turned upside down. And my world was turned upside down, and I dropped her off. Um, it was a busy day that day. She was very fortunate that she'd slept with me the night before. Um, and we got up and we were, I said, come on, Ronnie, we've got a really busy day to do so many things. And, you know, and I'm... In the car on the way there, she said, oh, mum, you know, you know, I love talking to older people. I said, yeah, I, I know that, Veronique. And she goes, and, you know, mum, I'm going to always take care of you when you're older. And I thought, yeah, I, I know that. She was very affectionate and very, very nurturing. And, um, but, it, you know, I dropped her off. I told her to put her shoes on. She had thongs on. I told her to put her sneakers on. And I knocked on the door and my cousin Danny answered the door and I said, um, he said, is she hungry? And I said, my daughter can always eat. She loved food. She loved cooking. I said, but please um, charge her phone because we had talked about whether she would sleep over or whether she'd call me in. When we had made that decision, just going back a bit, I don't know, earlier when she said, um, I was in the car and I said, well, why don't you go pack your bag? Plenty of few items to put in the bag. She was very, very good that way. She said, no, Mum, can you come and help me pack my bag? And when she, when I said, okay, went up, helped her pack a bag. And then she said, oh, Goodbye, Michael. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Why is she saying goodbye to her brother? Like it felt a bit final, but I thought I just brushed it off. And he had asked me if he could stay home because 
he had his first MPL soccer game, league soccer game. And he said, Mom, even if we get you get home by 11, it's going to be late, I'll be tired. And I don't ordinarily leave him home. It was the first time. But I'd asked my girlfriend to check in on him quite a few times that evening. She just lived down the road. So I going back to goodbye, Veronique, I didn't really give her a kiss. I, I just in a rush to get back to the Surrey Hills to a party, make my way down. Literally, I got to the party with Craig because he met me at my house. And before the, before I even just got up, I just got upstairs, Danny rang and he said, uh, my cousin, he said, look, Bridget, I goes, everything okay? He goes, yeah, yeah. No, he's, I, I asked him, is everything okay? Because I thought it was unusual. He said, no, I've lost my three children. And I said, oh, I thought they had like maybe run on the road or I don't know, they're hiding. And I, and he goes, no, they're dead. And I went, oh, I, I, didn't, I don't even know what happened to me. I, don't, I can't even think at the time. But other than um, trying to ask, think to myself, should I ask him about Veronique? Do I ask him about my daughter? He's just told me three, three of his kids have died. And um, I, I, I worked my, my way in my voice to say, what about Veronique? And he said, look, you just need to come to a golf club or, or yeah, golf club. Um, I don't know how we got in the car. Um, I was praying my Hail Marys and my, our fathers and I was asking God to please, please don't let anything happen to the Veronique. And I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to know. I just kept, I don't know how we got there and it was terrible there were lights everywhere there was ropes and tapes and I can't tell you it was it was a a crime scene and yeah that night's etched in my brain forever um and I couldn't get to her um they said to me can't go past these ropes and I said but I'm her mum I was screaming um and I ended up being on that footpath the whole night and I don't know when or how I was told Veronique was one of the four and yeah, my life has not been the same. Um, every day is, a, is is painful. Like there's, it's all and. It's happy and sad. It's joyful and sorrowful. It, it's always the and. You can't do anything without feeling that sadness because you know your dinner table's not the same, or your or your family photos aren't the same, or your holidays aren't the same. You, you know you should have been fifteen in December and she was eleven um, and. You know, I don't know any, like, it's not just the love you give your child, but it's also the love you're missing back from them and the community that they give you and the, and the, and that nurture, you know, that every time while she could see me stressed out or upset, she would just run and say, Mum, are you okay? And not that Michael's not a beautiful soul. My son is not the same. Girls and boys are a little bit different. He's a, he's a, an amazing kid, but, you know, he had a different nurture. He's got a different nurture to his sister. And so, yeah, I, you know, I had to lean on my faith immensely because um, I, I live every day knowing that I'm going to see her again. That's what my faith tells me. Um, you know, the hope, you know, the the resurrection of Christ gave us hope that we will see each other again. And I, that's what I do every day to get up and know that I'll be seeing her and I'll do what I can to, to honour her. Um and I lean on my family, my friends. I lean on, um, you know, a lot of the community around me who really rallied around me and supported me. And that was really, that happened as soon as we actually just really rolled out granite, just went live. And um, 
COVID hit, so you can imagine, you know, just sort of ready to launch a business, just sort of started. Um, we probably had settled maybe 20 million in professional lending, which is literally just started professional loans and COVID hit and there's no Veronique. Cash became king. So it was like, are we going to be able to fund this product? Is it going to become difficult? Because when I set up Granite, I was very strategic about that I'd you know, align myself to one funder. And when I had created and crafted the product, I went and approached every single non-bank lender that I knew at a CEO level, and all of them loved the product. Um, but it was Andrew who Chapel, the CEO of Columbus Capital, who said, um, you know, I, I love this product. And the others said they want to charge a risk fee. And he said, I'm happy not to charge a risk fee. I, we will back those borrowers, but you've got to work for my office. So that's how, you know, our relationship continued to flourish and he could see the growth of Granite. But at that time, and that was February 2020, you know, we sort of had to obviously, you know, stay home and we weren't allowed to travel and, you know, social distancing. I thought to myself and I was feeling very deeply um, that, you know, all my life I've worked really hard to support my children um and we're you know you you really sometimes have to sacrifice time with them and now that i've got the time and i'm at home she's not here mm. but life never works out the way you plan it and I, I realized that in life you you have goals and you should go for those goals but don't be disappointed if your plans don't work out because mm. they don't always work out um and there are challenges that will come your way and you know you you have no idea of how to deal with them and so I you know like I said I was you know I, I lent on my faith immensely to be able to get up and work out what we're going to do with granite and it was how do we morph into other products mm. um we we launched at 100 percent LBR and we we quickly brought that down to 95 and um created a sort of an essential product from that for, for first responders and teachers and nurses and then we morphed into SMSF and um, we made that product very streamlined, very very efficient, and very uh, price wise quite you know competitive. And you know we started to we actually hired people during COVID. We didn't actually let go of people all online. And somehow we we got back on our feet. We got through that. And um, but my my ability to be the same person I used to be and the energy and the you know. Was depleted. I was, you know, I do suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm, I'm not shy to say that. Um, losing your flesh and blood is something that's unimaginable, and the most harrowing way to lose it, someone is traumatically. I never dropped her off not to pick her up, and I've learned now that every time Michael leaves the car, I just give him a kiss and say I love you because you just, you just don't know. Well, when that last time is, he, you know, she was 11 and she had 70 years to go at least. Um, and I was dropping her off to having a great time. And so, yeah, so we we really grew granite. And but my 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 involvement to the depth that it used to be was I had to focus on my mind, body, and soul. Mm. Get my mind right. Focus on my body. I joined the gym, so I started to um, myself a personal trainer, um, and got myself a psychologist. Um, and nurtured my soul through through my faith 
But I then began to realise that there are so many people out there that are really suffering on their own because our, our tragedy was so public. Um, everybody would come and say, you okay? Do you need anything? What can we do for you? Um, and so I thought to myself, you know, there are so many people out there suffering on their own. They suffer grief. Grief comes in many forms. It doesn't discriminate. It happens at any time. Um, and grief is a journey. And I thought, what can I do to help others? I love people. I love life. I've always had purpose in my life, um, in everything I do. And we had a lady called Patricia Thomas from Grief Care. They're part of Catholic Cemetery and Crematoria. They accompany people during the first three months of losing their loved one. But I thought, it's more than just three months. And how do I build a community around me that have gone through a loss of a loved one or any form of grief as well? I mean, losing a job or, or a marriage breakup. You know, there are forms of grief, but where we can share stories with one another we can build a community where we can speak grief openly i do believe that we're in a counter-cultural society where people don't know what to say to you um, when they know something they don't know how to come up to you um, sometimes they avoid you and i will say there was a ceo of a, of a, of a bank um, that i saw in the city one day i was going to gp actually and he saw me and hid behind a wall and and then I went around that wall and I said, you know, such and such, why are you hiding behind the pole? And he said, I don't know what to say to you. I said, well, come around and give me a hug because people don't know what to say, especially when it's so tragic. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to set up a platform. It's COVID. It's October, six months after Veronique died. Um, and um, I'm going to invite people who have gone through grief in their life to come on this platform. Um, and we decided to call it Heartfelt. So Craig, obviously, you know, been an amazing support to me, my husband, um, and he, we came up with the name Heartfelt, and the felt stands for families experiencing loss and trauma. Mm. And we end up, you know, end up going out there, talking to a number of people that, that have got this platform. Because, obviously, faith is important to me, it is very spiritual and meditative, um, and we do have breakout rooms um, where we pick a theme every week and we talk about um, what the topic is of, of the evening. And we have about 25 people that come on every Monday night. I've moved to Fortnightly because um, I want to see whether that would change the attendance or increase it or decrease it, and we're still getting the 25 people. Um, <clears throat> people are at different phases of their grief journey. And there's 150 people in the, in the community now. We've got a website called heartfelt.community. And, um, you know, it's been self-funded, but I've been blessed to have a lot of people give money to Heartfelt. Um, Resi Mac um, contributed $10,000 to, to Heartfelt um, and really wanted to invest in helping me build the website. Um, and I'm in the process now. It's a charity. It's become a former charity in um, September, the year before last. And now I'm in the process of applying for a DGR status to be able to kind of, um, if people were to support financially, I can give them um, a tax receipt so they can claim it um, as, a, as a donation. And it is about growing that 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 um, 
heartfelt into day retreats, um, into uh, podcasting, talking to people who've gone through something in their life that they want to share their story. I think storytelling is very powerful. Um, and it's amazing how many people feel that that has really helped them just to be able to talk about their loved one and, and honour their loved one. Mm. And, um, you know, it takes time to put the content together, but I do leverage on a number of resources where people are grief experts, in particular grief care, as I mentioned. They are experts in, in grief and they can help me with the grief language. I have the lived experience of grief, but I, but it's so unique and it's so individual. Um, and people want their grief validated. Um, and so... What does that feel like? Is it an energy inside? Like yeah, where does yeah, it yeah. in the yeah, body, yeah. right? Where, yeah, where is that, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the giving back. Um, it's the giving back that makes me feel... That makes me feel good inside. It's the fact that I haven't... I've chosen not to focus on... Um, I'm not angry. Um, I do believe that this tragedy, you know, is is bigger than, than bigger than us. And I do believe that certain things and, and God permits certain things to happen for the greater good. And I feel like the greater good out of this tragedy is for me to to break open and make happen. And by that I and, and through that I'm, you know, it's about the forgiveness and not to hold anger. And I believe that Michael is a better person, my son. Right for seeing me as his role model, who's not angry and wanting to serve and, and do good um, and give back and also helps my relationship as well amongst my husband, my, my mother, who's not well, my siblings, my, my cohort at work, my community. Giving back and just serving does does help a lot. It's it part of my healing process. Um, and that's that's been going for three years and I've been... Um, able to do that and I've connected with um, Sydney Catholic schools who they've got family educators they connect the parents with um, uh, with the with the the parents with the teachers it's like the connectors and then there's something wrong with the, the kids are going through a hard time and they're grieving um, they'll recognize that and I've, I've worked with them so during the month of November the kids make blue hearts um, and I'd really try and get out there to let them know there's a platform for the parents to come on but you know, I'm beyond. It's not just about Catholicism. It's about anyone who's going through suffering. That's where really I want to tap into, um, and and make it broader and a lot bigger. Um, and so yeah, that's 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 something I'm really really proud of. That I've put all my energy into doing good things and great and and great things. Um, and I know that God gave me the, the the skills and the talents and the and the gift of being able to to be with people and to connect with people, um, and that's what I've done all my life. Um, and anyway, so that has been you know in 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 the background. Um, at the same I time, just want to stop on that to... point because I think you know this whole point on service you know is um and again it's you know from a, a spiritual place it's sort of at the root of most yeah. religions is yeah. that service and I know for myself you know similar to you back you know seven years ago sort of went through the divorce and around the time I was sort of you know in in the business and um you know I took a 
sort of a, at the end of my business around, you know, 2019, I took a trip and I sort of went overseas and I did the the six months overseas and I, I traveled the world and had a great time in Europe and you know, to Ireland, my boys flew over to um, France and we went to Switzerland. But then I sort of had a bit of more of a spiritual journey where I went to Nepal and sort of India and yeah, I didn't have any itinerary. I just sort of followed my heart and sort of where I went. Wow. And I ended up um, going to a, a couple of different places, right? And um, I met some people in Dharamshala where, you know, the Dalai Lama has his temple and they said, oh, you, you should go and see the Dalai Lama. He's doing a free training. And anyway, so it was me and four or 5,000 monks. I'm not, you know, Buddhist, I'm not religious, but I just this was just on my path, right? And um, so I end up in um, in Bodh Gaya, which is where the, the Buddha tree and, you know, all the temples and stuff like that, where he sort of found enlightenment. And um, the Dalai Lama does presentations for an hour and a half a day. And so if you're listening on the headphones and you're listening to the recording and they're all doing their chanting and stuff like that. But the thing that I walked away from that was exactly what you're talking about in terms of the one big takeaway was you know our happiness doesn't come from outside it doesn't come from money it comes from that true place of service so once we sort of and again you've been that part where you've lost a big part of yourself a lot a big part of your soul I can't imagine and pretend to imagine what you've been through in terms of losing losing a loved one like Veronica um but, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the thing that you can do and, you know, through your faith and so forth, you can serve, right? Yeah. And, you know, what I find inspiring about, you know, service is, you know, despite everything you've been through, the pain, the, the pain that you go through on a daily basis, you're able to sort of transform that into something that does a greater good and yeah. through service. And I think that's the sort of the connection and the spirit uh, mm. that you're really talking about here. It's true. And, you know, you're right. I mean, I think, and I'll go on to, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll wrap up that, you know, in November 21 when, when um, you know, granite was growing considerably and, you know, we had forged a number of relationships with a number of aggregators. Um, and our distribution was, you know, fantastic. And Granite has created a brand for itself. And, and not just because it, it was about the people behind Granite. You know, there was myself and obviously Yanni who worked for me at Genworth. I bought a cross and my husband. Um, and I bought some ex-Genworth people along. It, it, it's people trust in the fact that who is behind Granite. And that's important. That goes back to people. So, you know, Granite, we were approached by Colcap to um they want to buy they wanted to buy us because of our distribution they didn't have a broker arm they had a retail and wholesale arm it was a big decision to say yes but it made sense for us in our life at that point to to do that but we're in an earn out i'm in my three year earn out and i love being part of the columbus capital granite culture I love growing our business i'm still um you know an employee here for you know a couple of days a week and giving it my all when i'm here um, and even when I'm not here, I obviously take calls. But what, you know, I, then we embarked on, well, during COVID as well, Craig saw these sleepy shops in Strathfield, dead, no one there, near a park, near a bike track, and said to me, Bridget, what do you think we open up a cafe? 
And I said, cafe, what the hell do we know about cafes? I know how to drink a cup of coffee is what I said to him. And um, he said, just imagine. He said, Veronique loved cooking, feeding people. We could honour her. And from there, I thought, you know, I could create a great love wall in that cafe because at Heartfelt, our tagline, if you want to call it tagline, is because love lives on. Mm. Because someone dies, you don't stop loving them. Mm. It's the physical piece you can't touch. But mm. I, in my faith, can be very spiritually connected to my daughter. So that rebirthing had to take place. So we opened up and we have this great wall and we thought whoever comes in with a photo of their loved one, which will encourage them to do that, we've got a Pol Polaroid camera, take a photo and they can pin it on the wall. It's just a beautiful cork wall. Um, and within 12 months, we won the best cafe in the inner west, which was just amazing. And I had a girlfriend who I, I had lost track with over many years. Uh, she went to high school with me. She lost her son uh, on a motorbike, 21. And anyway, she's come in a few a couple of times, but she came in last Saturday and we had a chat and we had a coffee. And she goes, you know, I think I'm doing okay. She goes, I think I settled everything with my son through our connection, our relationship before he was tragically killed as well. I said, okay. I said, so do you believe you'll see Etienne again? Because his name's Etienne. And she started crying and crying. She goes, no. And I said, well, that's where we're different because I live in the belief, the belief and, and I know in my gut that I will see her again. So it's that hope. That hope gives me the courage and the strength and the drive to get up and to serve. No different to after um, we sold Granite the day after, uh, I got a call from a friend who uh, asked if Dominic Perrottet could, could, could ring me, the Premier at the time. And I said, no, I'm not a politician. Um, I don't do politics. Anyway, after a number of phone calls and please come and meet with me, I did. And he said, look, I, I think it would be great the by-election that was coming up in November, in January 20, February 2022. It'd be fantastic. He said, um, I want a woman, I want a woman who's, you know, got your lived experience, um, who is a mother, um, who has built her own business at the time I was talking about granite because um, of no cafe and has also worked in the corporate world. And I just started really reflecting and praying on that. And I thought, you know, I could give back. I could serve the community that, that served my family. I could help around the mental health space, you know, the, the green space. I could, I could, I could see there was a, quite a bit to do with road safety. I thought I could do, I could really contribute. And I was very proud of the 28 days of campaigning that I never even knew what I was doing because we had a team of volunteers come and support me and, you know, help drive the campaign. And I had no idea. Um, the ins and outs of, of politics, but I gave it my best and I did extremely well. I mean, you know, on, on on straight votes, I did, I really, you know, did well. And because of the preferences, that's where, you know, I didn't get it across the line. But, you know, I wanted, that was all about giving back. It wasn't about getting my name out there or, you know, being a politician and, and showing, you know, being sort of egotistical person who's trying to, you know, prove something. Not at all. It was, a, again, about serving and giving back. And as part of that cafe, you know, what we've done because we've, you know, been able to make our food with love and it's a great community cafe and people say it's a home away from home. The proceeds of the cafe um, are going towards a Veronica Saker scholarship. And 
Granite went to an independent Catholic school. Uh, the fees, you know, weren't weren't you know weren't cheap. Um, but we are going to pay for a, a young girl who ordinarily wouldn't be able to afford to go to Santa um, to start next year in year ten, year ten and twelve. The school, um, the principal selected. They they did the selection process. We were very arm's length independent from that process. But the girl um, Diana is is beautiful. She's excited, and it is our connection with the school. Uh, it's Brennick's legacy, and it's about giving back. And people really resonate with what we're doing, and really come in and support and rally the cafe. Amazing, and you know, it's amazing in terms of you followed. You know, um, since you coming out of Genworth, all of this has happened. You've end up, you know, opening a cafe you never thought you'd do. You've end up running for you know, parliament you never thought you'd do. And it's, you just sort of open and sort of just letting sort of life sort of take you, right? So what's next? Yeah. What's next for Bridget? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I'm going to, you know, I, I do believe doors close and doors open. So I'm going to leave it to uh, that door always um, open to opportunities coming my way. Um, like I'm, I can only say to, to listeners as well, be open, you know, mm. to keep the door open because you just don't know. I mean, the amount of people, I thought I knew a lot of people um, before Veronique died. I was very well connected in the industry. I still am. I've got a great community around me. But, God, I've met so many more people, so many more people. And each one of those people in your life that you meet, you just don't know. And so I'm going to keep the door open um I feel everything I do I do do like I said I do with passion I do with purpose and I do with my whole heart so no matter what it is I'm gonna make it work and you know that's a great message and again I think you know that pretty much sums up you in a nutshell right in terms of you've got that spirit you've got that energy you've got that determination to obviously make it work and it comes from a place of service it comes from a place of purpose mm -hmm. and you know I guess you know for people that have you know again going through again it, you've gone through an, a very extreme level of grief but but people are just you know going through those you know sort of again there's sort of there's many um sort of grief and then there's the sort of the bigger grief but it's all the same sort of feeling inside of course and of course. so what's your uh normally ask for a recommendation mm. for someone to scaling their business but today i'm going to ask you for someone who's going through something what's your sort of one piece of advice for them to sort of be able to push through and to um yeah you know yeah um yeah, what's the yeah, I think I think you know if you can work, if you can work on your mind, body, and soul, if you can, to be able to push through, I, I think that's so important. It was important for me. Um, I, you know, when you're in grief or you've gone through something in your life, whatever that is, it's very hard to focus on your everyday work commitment. You've got your own business out there. You're you're growing. Um, you know. Even with granite, like I, I actually could have just shut it all down and said, this is all too hard. But I stopped and I thought, okay, I'm going to focus on these three, king, three things, 
mind, body, and soul. Mm-hmm. And through that whole part, that through that whole process, I I kept open to um, people coming to me and giving me a hug or checking in on me. I don't like it when people keep saying, how are you? But how are you? I mean, it's like, how do you think I am? I've lost my daughter and I'm suffering and I'm struggling. But just no, but being open to people wanting to, 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 to give their support, open up to that and do do take a vested interest in your in your mind, body and soul. I couldn't have done it without a psychologist too, actually. I couldn't have done it without my faith and I couldn't have done it without even physically looking after myself. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that that that's what I encourage um, very much. Definitely, definitely, and I'm a big advocate for that. I think you know my life started to change when I got to that point where I had everything from a business success and property investments, and you realise that hey, the bigger job is within, um, and you know, and it's part of it is sort of you know, releasing the sort of, you're not the mind, you're not the emotions. Life's not going to do what you said. It's not going to fit in that box that your mind wanted to fit in. You've got to embrace it as the moment and, um, you know, let go of the story. And you're a perfect example of someone who's taking the, the spirit, taking the soul, you know, using the energy that sort of and following a, an amazing path. And I can't wait to see uh, mm-hmm. where you end up next. And um, yeah, I'll, I'm one that has sort of, you know, have been inspired by your journey. And I thank you, Ross. Thank you very much. It's, uh, um, continue to be inspired by you. Thank you. There's one thing I, I do, um, one thing my psychologist did say to do, and it's helped me a lot, is there's a lot, a lot of the self-talk in your mind can take you places. Anything that you think is doesn't sit right, right in your mind, get a post-it note, write it down in your mind, and just let it put it in that, put it on the water and let it flush out. Mm. I think that's really helpful. Just to those those thoughts when you really are struggling, just to flush out. A lot of them, a lot of it's self self talk. You know, stuff you're saying to yourself. Um, try and let those thoughts flush out, which is sometimes that happens, and I just sit there and I go flush that out. It's not going to help me that thought. As, yeah. much as, as much and as best as you can. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that. I had a, I did a, a podcast last week and he get, he it, it described it. You've got an angel and a devil sitting on one side, right? Oh, yeah. Which one is talking to you? And, oh, yeah. um, you know, yeah. write down and, and let those ones go that aren't serving you. So Absolutely. Um, so good. So good. Uh, thanks so much. I feel honoured that you've shared Thank your you, story. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for listening to me. Uh, you know, I think it's something that, um, you know, we all can sort of take inspiration from. And I think being so open, so candid, um, you know, sharing from the heart. And I think, you know, that's why so many of your team and people are endeared to you and you've been such a success. Uh, it's that honesty, that's authenticity and the the purpose that you serve with is um, truly commendable. So uh, thank you so much for being uh, on the podcast. So if people do want to support your charity, um, do you want to sort of give the website and yeah, how, yeah, it's called it's support? called yeah, absolutely, it's called Heartfelt Dot Community. Um, I, I, you have to kind of really because I mean the SEO engine is probably not putting it up the top. You really have to try. It comes up with a. Um, a picture of me um and you can even if you want to donate something small you know please there's no obligation but it 
basically comes up like um sometimes people find it hard to find it comes up comes up like oh sorry like that ross okay it's no worries so if you're watching on youtube um you can have a look at this and uh see what bridget's holding up so yes. she's holding up a picture of her holding a heart and it's called heartfelt yeah, uh, inviting you to explore grief, spirituality, and love after loss. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's heartfelt.community. So if you put that in the um in the, the URL, you'll will come up. Awesome. You'll just have to find, look for that picture. It'll come up. No worries. Well, I'll uh, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can yeah. find the link. And and, if any, and basically, there's a Q and A. People want to you know do want to reach out to me and. That they are grieving and they think that the platform might help them. Just key your details in or come to me and I'll I'll reach out to you. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Ross. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to, you can support the podcast one by subscribing on your favorite channel. So whether that be Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform. Uh, secondly, you can join our Facebook group. It's called Billion Dollar Broker for mortgage brokers. Uh, and thirdly, if you want help in accelerating the growth of your business, go to billiondollarbroker.com.au and you can learn more on how you can work with me. All right, thanks again. And until next time, I'll see you then.